Father, we come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts. We're truly grateful for Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, our Righteousness, our Hope, our Friend. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We rejoice in Him today. And we thank You that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. And that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to You by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we stand today not as enemies, not as slaves, but as children, adopted children of the living God. See what a wonder that God has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. It is so good to be with you this morning and to rejoice in, celebrate in, lavish in the wonderful love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. As Jesus came triumphantly into Jerusalem, the crowds were rejoicing, they were celebrating. And by the way, didn't Wendy do just a killer job on that children's sermon? I thought, man, we just need to break into an invitation right now. That was just what a blessing. And as Jesus was coming in and the crowds were there and they were uh, applauding and cheering, there was reason for them to do so. And the reason was that He was bringing something to them. They didn't realize it. They didn't understand it. They didn't comprehend it. They missed the point. But He was bringing sonship to us. He was bringing us the privilege to be called the children of God. Going from enemies to children. From slaves to friends. Unbelievable glory given to us. This morning, I want to share with you how God works in us by His Holy Spirit to carry out a new, to live out a new life. We'll begin by being reminded of how the kingdom of God is working and is powered. The kingdom of God is where the Father's rule is exercised through the Son, and notice this part, by the power of the Spirit, so that it is willingly obeyed, gloriously displayed, and happily enjoyed among His people, in the world. And so we're focusing right now in this summary of kingdom living, in this moment of walking through Romans 8, in the passage where the Bible's going to tell us what we're capable of doing by His Spirit. If you'll remember when we launched into Romans 8, we saw it as a survival kit for us 
to live on. We're memorizing it together as a congregation. I hope you're making headway in that. And then we're internalizing it from our memory and then we're living that out in our lives. Well, what we realized in all of this was that Romans 8 was written as an answer to a crisis in a person's life when they finally get it. When they realize how sinful they really are, how generous God in His salvation really is, how wonderful it is to receive the gift of life freely, yet to still occupy a body that fights against God's Spirit, so that at the end of the struggle of all of those things coming together, a person cries out, what a wretched person I am. I know how sinful I am. I know how good God is. And it seems like I'm having trouble living out this thing offered to me called salvation and new life in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul said, who's going to deliver me from this wretchedness? And then he answers it, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying is, is that God does something in and through and for us in Christ by His Holy Spirit that allows us to live out this life with joy and victory as a witness and testimony to God's grace. Jesus reminded us of the power behind all of this. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We found in Romans how important that was last week. Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. In other words, the ability to be born again, the ability to be converted, the ability to believe, the ability to obey, the ability to follow God in Jesus Christ is wholly, totally given to us by the power of Of God's Holy Spirit. Not by the power of our will, not by the power of our flesh, not by the properness of our morals or the power of our religion. It's wholly and totally given to us as a gift by the Holy Spirit. Let me show you, and that's not Jesus Christ, it'd be Christ. You can, I don't know how I did that, but it's not Jesus Christ. Just note. Take a look at my Bible. I I took a picture of this this morning because I want to show you in Romans 8 what is happening in last week's sermon and this week's sermon and why I've chosen the wording. Last week, the title of the sermon was Life in the Spirit. And this was the focal text. Look at the green highlights I have there. However, you're not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. Then you get down to verse 10, if Christ is in you, and then you've got in verse 11, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and then in the end, I didn't put a green on that, but the Spirit who indwells you. This is important for us to understand because all that Paul is going to say next is premised upon this, and that is, That a follower of Jesus Christ is a person who has been 
empowered and indwelt by God's Holy Spirit living in him or her. God comes into us, makes our bodies His temple, and He resides in us. The whole Trinity lives in us in the Holy Spirit. In Romans, it refers to that as the Spirit of God. refers to that as the Spirit of Christ. refers to that as the Holy Spirit. The whole of the Trinity housed in me. Now, I want to ask you something. Just think this through before you answer, but... Are you impressed with Billy Graham? Just don't say it yet. But are you impressed with Billy Graham? Think about it for a minute. Now answer. Are you impressed with Billy Graham? You are. We've all loved his life. And most every person here can attest that some way, somehow, he touched or influenced or encouraged me personally or someone that I know personally. And we are impressed by a life of integrity, durability, faithfulness, all of those things. And we kind of sometimes stand around and we get a little bit of awe going on. And we kind of are in awe of Him. All these folks lined up for the funeral. And when the, uh, the, the procession for His funeral, the roadways were lined up. He's one of the few civilians ever to sit in state there in Washington, D.C., the way that he did. And so there's a lot of honor to him. And so we're all very impressed with that. But I want to share something with you that you may not have considered. He did not have anything that you do not have if you're a Christian. Just think that through for a minute. Billy Graham pounded in his life, this theme, that Billy Graham was not capable of anything. It was always and only the Holy Spirit of God that bore in him the fruit of righteousness and bore through him the testimony of the gospel. Billy Graham didn't get extra Holy Spirit. He didn't get the supersize order. He didn't stop in when he got saved and says, now give me, uh, let's see, I want a number six and I want you to supersize it. Here's my 65 cents extra. It wasn't like that at all. The same spirit of the living God that dwelt in Billy Graham dwells in every single follower of Jesus Christ. Don't you think that through? Because what we're called to do in Christ, by Christ, and through Christ, in the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is to live exceptionally and supernaturally so that we have impact in whatever place that we're placed. You will not have the same calling that Billy Graham had to be the global evangelist he did, except maybe in some rare instance, Someone may be called to that. But in what you are called to do, you are just as powerfully equipped. Church has to soak this in and leave aside the lame excuses. And so here, the Spirit is in us. Christ is in us, giving us life making us alive with the power of God Himself. He is residing. So that sets me up to show you the next slide, because this is the theme of today's sermon. 
Today's sermon is like by the Spirit. You say, Bart, are you just trying to be kind of cool with choosing just one word so you didn't have to change a lot in your outline? No, here it is. As a result of the Spirit being in us, it is by the Spirit we're able to be different than the rest of the world. Look at what happens here. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if... What's it say? By... The Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live for all who are being led by the Spirit. These are the children of God. And then he goes on and says, for all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God, all the way down to verse 15. We've received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And so what happens is, is that the Apostle Paul says, because the Spirit of God is indwelling, inhabiting you as a human being because of your salvation, because of your regeneration, because of your new birth, He is going to allow you to do supernatural things by His power. So, here we go. Uh, Number one, life by the Spirit is first understood as a matter of obligation. A matter of obligation. Romans 8.12 says it, So then, brethren, we are under obligation... Not to the flesh. We are under obligation. You and I, as a believer, are under obligation. Now, I was trying to think of a way. How do you you illustrate uh, this uh, obligation? And I was thinking through. I used to work at Burlington Industries, which is a carpet mill in Dahlonega, Georgia. Mine and Sherry's first year of marriage was spent in Dahlonega as she finished nursing school. And I worked in Burlington Industries at night. If you ever saw the movie Courageous and they showed that uh, carpet plant, that carpet mill that the young Hispanic man was working in, it looked exactly like the place I worked. It was almost a carbon copy of it. And I worked in that plant and I was in a certain section. Now, when you were hired there, you were assigned to certain sections in the plant. And I was assigned to the section called the twisters. And this is where they took carpet yarn and they twisted it. They turned it a certain number of turns so that in the turning of it, those strands would later be going to what was called the setting place and they would heat set that twist into the yarn to get the nice fabric that you get in your carpet. And so, I occupied a certain place. I was in the twisting department, okay? I occupied a place. Just like you, you occupy a place, you are in Christ Jesus, you are in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God occupies your heart. But because I occupied a certain place, I had a certain occupation. My occupation as an occupant of the twister department was to twist carpet yarn. That was it. And so what I did all night, every night, 
was I took two different strands of carpet yarn, brought them together, and made sure that the machine grabbed, it, grabbed them and twisted them into the right number of twists per inch, and then took those off and turned them in and went back and started over and did that all night, every night. So I occupied a place, and that was I occupied a department, twisting department. I had an occupation, twisting yarn. But here's the thing. I didn't twist yarn by my own power. I had these great, big, powerful machines that ran all of the twisting. All I had to do was feed it, monitor it, and take it off. That was it. I would feed it by putting some yarn on, monitoring it by making sure that it was twisting together, and once it was twisted and the spool was full, I would take it off and go and turn that in and start another spool and keep it going. Except I did that on this giant machine where it's nonstop all night. You really almost never get a break because of how those things work. And so it was a long night, but none of it was my power. I participated, I monitored, I took part, but the power to run the whole place didn't come from me. The power to twist the yarn didn't come from me. This is kind of how life in the Spirit is. You occupy a certain place. You are the child of God. You have a seat at His table. You have a place in His family. You are in Christ Jesus, and He is in you. You occupy a place. Because you occupy that place, you have an obligation as a child of God to live like God's children. But the power to do it isn't your power. There are things you do so that you may grow in your reliance on that power. There are things you do that keep you away from things that limit your obedience and performance under that power. But the power is not yours, it is God's. So you occupy a place. You are adopted children of God. You are at His table. You are in His family. You are sons and daughters of the living God. But you have an occupation. And your occupation is to act like it. It's real simple. To act like it. To act like you are God's kid. Well, the only God's kid that we know, we know how He acted, right? Who was it? Jesus. And so... To act as God's kid, we play follow the leader by the power of the Spirit, and we follow Jesus Christ. So you occupy a place at the table in the household of God. You have a name there. It's got your name on it. It says your name. That's your place. You sit there. You are His child if you've been born again, if you've trusted Christ. You occupy a place, but you have an occupation. That's what Paul is after. He's saying because you are in the family and the Spirit of God is in you, then you are to act a certain 
way. You are to live a certain way. You have certain responsibilities as a child. Just like growing up in anybody's household, there are house rules and there are house responsibilities. But you get to do this all by a power that is not your own. And so you have an obligation. But it's a family obligation. It's a joyful obligation. You are obligated not to your flesh. So it's a matter of obligation. Now let me break that down a little bit. Three potential sources of obligation. That's why Paul raises the idea of the flesh. Look in verse 12 again. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, but not to what? Not to the flesh. Well, here are those potential sources of obligation. First, the flesh. An internal compulsion. There is a sinfulness that still abides in you right now, even though you've been born again. That's why Paul cried out, Wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from living in this fleshly, sinful self of a body? So, the first is, there's an internal compulsion. This is the meanness of you. You want to be served, and there is this drive within you that says, I owe it to myself to be Filled with pleasure, I owe it. And people will say, they say, you owe it to yourself to go and get you one of these. You owe it to yourself to purchase this. You owe it to yourself to do this. That is an appeal to your flesh. You are not obligated to that. You are not obligated to yourself. The Apostle Paul wants you to know that you have no obligation to your desires. To your own fleshly passions, to your lusts, to those pulls in you. There is an internal compulsion in every one of us towards selfishness. We're not obligated to that. We do not have to serve ourselves. There's another one, and that is our surroundings. Our surroundings. Many of us feel obligated to our surroundings. Our parents, our spouses, our children, our work. We feel that that is our obligation. But here's the problem. You cannot have any of those as your driving obligation in life and also follow God. If you follow God's obligations, you'll be the best spouse. You'll be the best parent, you'll be the best child that you possibly can be by being obligated to the Spirit and not to the surroundings. Somebody will say, well, you owe it to your mom and dad to choose the career that they want you to have. Listen carefully, I do not want to sow any disrespect whatsoever, but you need to know exactly what God wants you to do, and you need to work that in the confines of parental authority. There has to be a sense in which when you step up to do what you do, it is not to satisfy human beings. You want to respect human beings. You want to love them. But your obligation is not to them. Your obligation is higher. Listen carefully. That's why Jesus says, He who does not hate father or mother is not able to be my disciple. 
What does he mean hate? It means that you have to bring your obligation to them into subjection to God. Therefore, if what God has clearly called you to disagrees with that, there has to be a moment where they are in subjection to God and you follow what God has said to you. Now that means it'll always, listen carefully, if you're here and you're a teenager right now going, oh, I'm going to buck this now, here we go. It will always agree perfectly with the Word of God. Never disagree. It'll always be done inside the confines of the church of God, helping you understand the will of God and the pull of God, because there's a lot of folks who confuse their internal compulsion with the Holy Spirit. Please mark that somewhere. There are lots of people that confuse their internal compulsion with the Holy Spirit. They are not the same. The Holy Spirit always magnifies Jesus and pushes us toward Him and always perfectly eternally agrees with the Word of God. But, you must be guided by this third compulsion, and that is the Spirit of God. This is important. We're going to see how this works out. It's a matter of obligation. I am obligated to God to be led by His Spirit, to be informed by His Spirit, to be empowered by His Spirit. That is my obligation. Let me show you where that's fleshed out in 2 Corinthians. Real quick, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The reason I call it an eternal compulsion is that it looks to eternity to see if what is being done has validity, has fruitfulness. And so in, in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, it says in verse 17, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God's Holy Spirit is always working with eternal in mind. That is how He operates. He's working for your and others' eternal well-being in everything He will ever lead you to. Not the temporal, not the immediate, not the quick, but the eternal. That is how He leads us. Let's break that down a little bit further. Life by the Spirit is further understood in the divine empowerment that enables us to do three specific things. And I put there at the bottom, this is what we are obligated to do. So we're not obligated to those two things. We're not obligated to the internal compulsions of our flesh and our body. We're not obligated to the external compulsions of other human beings. We're obligated to an eternal compulsion by the Holy Spirit of God. That's how we operate. But this is a divine empowerment that enables us to do three specific things. Now look at the divine empowerment laid out in Second Peter chapter 2. His divine power has given us, what's the next word? Everything. 
His divine power has given us, what's the word again? This is very important. It is by the presence of God's Holy Spirit in you that His divine power has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. The power of God living in you is the power by which you do the things of God. And it is not a power that lacks in any sector. It does not lack in any way. This power has given us everything we need pertaining to required for life and godliness. Look at how he fleshes it out. Through the knowledge of him, this is Jesus, excuse me, uh, uh, this is God, who called us by his own glory and goodness, by these he has given us the very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in what? What does it say? This is awesome. The divine nature. God's power living in you is the power by which you take on the very nature of God. This is what's powering you. This is what's compelling you. Not the flesh. Not, not the surroundings. But the Spirit of God. Peter is telling us a truth that has been done to every believer. He has given us everything in this divine power. Unbelievable! So that through them I may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. This is awesome! God living in me, giving me His own nature and the capacity to do everything He says. Wow. Well, how do I do this? How does this work itself out? Well, first it works itself out in the simplicity of Romans 8. Go back there. Put your eyes on this simple phrase. Verse 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. He's not just talking about your body dying. He's talking about eternal death. He's talking about hell. He says, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So the first order of business in the Christian life, being inhabited by God, having divine power in me and supernatural capabilities, is I've got to kill Bart Walker. That's what I've got to do. Although Bart Walker has been crucified with Christ, I have to make sure he stays dead. And so I am going to spend my days, first order of battle, by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, in the church of God, putting to death the deeds of my body. What deeds is he talking about? You know what he's talking about. He's talking about the internal compulsion to sin and gratify and lust and lie and steal and cheat and pride and all of the things that could be there. He says, 
put those to death by the Spirit. So I have an occupation. I'm working, not in Burlington Industries, I'm working in God's household. The first order of business in God's household is to understand that the machinery of the power of God is not wanting me to twist yarn, it's wanting me to put to death the deeds of my flesh. That's a full-time job for me. If I didn't have anything to do the rest of my life, this would be it. It's to work to put to death the deeds of my flesh. I am such a sinner. I have so many desires. I am so weak. But the nice thing is, just like at Burlington Industries, I never had to twist a single piece of yarn by my own power. I just had to use all of the mechanism that was given to me properly. God has given to you everything pertaining to life and godliness. You already have it. You possess it. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Second, the verse that goes with that. Letter B, by the Spirit we are being led. This is very important because it's the it's the thing that they're recognized by. Look, in verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, who are they? They're the children of God. How do you know somebody is a child of God? Because they're being led by the Spirit of God. They're not being led by the compulsions that are internal, the flesh. They're not being led by the compulsions that are external, other people, society, the world, the devil. No, 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 no. They're being led by the Spirit of God. That's what's happening. I tried to sum it up in one statement for us. Here's the statement. The Spirit of God leads the children of God to follow the Son of God to God. That's simply it. This is our marker. Who's a Christian? The person whom the Spirit of God is leading to the Son of God, following Him to get to God. That's a Christian. Jesus put it very simply. He said it this way. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And what do they do? They follow So if the Spirit of God is in you, you will know it because He will lead you to follow Jesus. That's what He'll do. It's not about how high you jump because you got the Spirit or how loud you sing. It's not about how moral you are. It is about following Jesus. That's who the children of God are. And Jesus is leading us to God. That's what that earlier verse was about. Lynn, would you back one up for me? This one won't put it in reverse. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us where? To God. So this is it. The Spirit of God leads the children of God to follow the Son of God to God. If you want to know, if you're a Christian, there it is. Don't tell me what day you prayed the prayer. If you're not being led by the Spirit of God to follow the Son of God, 
Don't talk to me about what day you prayed. Because what day you prayed is never mentioned in this book. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is where our assurance comes from. Our assurance comes from the evidence that that moment of religious experience that we had, whether we were six or 60, whether it was at youth camp or a revival or quietly in your own home, the evidence that that was genuine is that the Spirit of God has inhabited you, marking you as a child of God, compelling you to follow the Son of God, and eventually bringing you to God Himself, where He will wipe away all your tears and be with you for all of eternity. Finally, in this section, we close it by the Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, this is a great text. I can, and I will, expand on this a great deal later. But this is most likely a referral to one particular event where this specific language was used by a particular person at their greatest time of trial. So, let me set it up. You, as a child of God, are going to go through incredible trials that will come from two sources. One source is internal. You are at war with your own flesh. And it is powerful. Super powerful. And you are at war with a world outside of you, under the influence of Satan, wanting to crush you, stop you, shut you up, shut you down, cut you off. All of that is coming against you. you got a war going on inside and outside. And the only person in the Bible that ever said the words, Abba, Father, was Jesus Christ. He said those words in the garden. At the most trying moment of his life. On his face before God the Father, he cried out, Daddy! Father! If it's possible, let this cup pass away from me. He wasn't crying out just with the proper, Oh, Father. My daughter Laurel says, Oh, Father. It's one of her fun names that she says. But when she really calls on me and needs me, she says, Daddy, here's Jesus Christ, the true Son of the living God, in His most intense moment. What does He say? Daddy, Father. So, the mark, the mark, of our sonship by the Spirit is where we go when we're in trouble. This is a distress call. It was used by Jesus Christ in the moment of His highest distress. And so, we break it down. You do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, just like Jesus, Daddy! Father! 
One is a term of endearment. The other is a term of status. Daddy is endearment. Father is sonship, daughterhood in Christ. And so it is marked by to whom we cry out. This is a marker in your life about your salvation. When it's going downhill, who are you crawling out to? When I was raising my girls, I learned their voices. And I knew that daddy distress call. I knew it. And when that call would go up, they were in a distress and they were calling out on someone that they believed could help them in their situation, to which I responded by running to their aid. We cry out, Daddy, Father, it's also the one to whom we turn. Who are you going to turn to at your greatest need? It's not just you crying out, you're turning to somebody. Jesus' disciples are asleep. He can't turn to them. They're a bunch of knuckleheads. Judas is betraying him. He can't turn to him. Pilate is going to disown him. He can't turn to him. The Pharisees have rejected him. He can't turn to them. Who can he turn to? He turns to his dad. That's where he goes. That was the mark of sonship. Also, to whom we run. When it all falls apart, where do you run to? Some people run to get high. Some people run to get relief and all kinds of so-called pleasurable things. Others run to watch hours of Netflix. Others run to watch hours of news and internet. Where do you run when it's all going bad? Running to God. Finally, in whom we trust. This is what he's after the whole time. The Holy Spirit of God will always draw you to trust God. He will always draw you to want to be with Him. So please, bow with me for a moment. Let me ask you just a couple of closing questions. First, I want to know if you know that you're a child of God. Now, I don't, I don't want you to quote to me the date or time that you got baptized or the religious experience that you had. I want to simply draw you to the Scriptures and see, according to the Scriptures, the Spirit of God is the one who brings, compels the children of God to follow the Son of God, to God. That's the marker. Those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. These are the daughters of God. And so where, where's that marker at in your life? If you're uncertain, let's resolve this today, this morning. And you call upon Him and ask Him to save you. You can do that now. You can believe this good gospel that Jesus Christ, God's own Son, came to save sinners who had rejected God by their sin and selfishness. And He died on the cross to pay for their sin and selfishness and was raised from the dead 
to the glory of God the Father. And He welcomes any who would turn and trust Him. Would you do that today? In so doing, you would be the son or the daughter of the living God. Do you hear His voice today? Will you follow Him? If so, would you call upon Him in prayer with me and ask Him to save you? Pray with me. Your God in heaven, haven't been your child, but I want to be. Haven't been in your family, but I want to be. And I believe you've done what was necessary for me to be adopted. To be your son, to be your daughter. I believe you did that when Jesus Christ came and lived perfectly. I believe you did that when Jesus died in my place. I believe you did it when you raised him from the dead. And God, I want to confess to you today, I believe that. Would you make me your child? Would you save me? If you prayed that prayer today, it's great encouragement for you from Romans chapter 10. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and whoever believes in Him will never be ashamed. I believe there's some believers here today that are struggling because rather than fighting the compulsions of the flesh and fighting the compulsions of the surroundings, you've been given in. We've all been there. I've done it. All of us share that. But God has equipped you with a power, and I want you to pray today that He would renew your knowledge of that power and that you today would be powered by God's Holy Spirit. Putting to death the deeds of your flesh, being led by Him to follow Jesus, and being inhabited by Him in such a way that when you're in trouble, rather than running to the old things, you run to God. You run to Dad. You run to the Father. Believer, would you pray that with me this morning? God in heaven, haven't been battling the deeds of the body. Haven't been fighting the inner and outside compulsions. Been given in. But your Holy Spirit is prompting me this morning to keep following Jesus, to keep pressing on, to renew my commitment today to Jesus Christ. So I do. Fill me anew and afresh with your Holy Spirit. And let me trust that I may run to you, cry out to you, turn to you, and trust you in everything. In Jesus' name. Would you stand as God leads you? Would you go?